Well, welcome back, everyone, to another podcast episode from naturallyhealingautism.com. I am your host, Karen Thomas. And in this show, as you know, if you've been uh, listening in for quite a while, we have special guests uh, to, um, to share very educational resources. And our focus is really for parents of children with autism or on the autism spectrum. And today our guest, or, or actually today our, our subject, I will tell you, is about glyphosate, which is a lesser known but very dangerous chemical that's being added to things like foods and vaccinations. And um, I have a very, very educated and a very special guest with us today. Uh, Dr. Stephanie Seneff is a senior research scientist at MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory in Cambridge, Massachusetts. She has a Bachelor's of Science degree from MIT in Biology and a PhD from MIT in Electrical Engineering and Computer Science. But her recent interests have focused on the roles of toxic chemicals and micronutrient nutrient deficiencies in health and disease, with a special emphasis on the pervasive herbicide Roundup and the mineral sulfur. She has authored over two dozen peer-reviewed journal papers over the past two years on these topics. So I would like to welcome you, Dr. Seneff. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Really appreciate your time. So um, we can get right into it. A lot of parents that are listening probably still haven't really heard much about glyphosate. So could you just go ahead and give a little background on the chemical and you know, sort of how you discovered the issues around it as well? Uh, very interesting, actually. Uh, glyphosate is the active ingredient in Roundup, which is something that most people know. They know Roundup because they go to the local um, garden store, buy the Roundup, and use it to kill the weeds in their yard. Um, many people do that. It's considered to be extremely non-toxic to humans, and that's why it's extremely attractive as an herbicide. It kills, actually, all plants, except for those few that have been ge genetically engineered to resist it. And um, that's in part where the trouble lies, because we have several core crops that, that go into the processed food industry in particular, things like corn and soy, uh, Canola, canola oil, so the canola that makes the canola oil, and sugar beets, which gives you beet sugar, which is a very popular sugar. All of those are GMO Roundup ready crops, which means that you can spray the Roundup all over the crop and it doesn't die. So that makes it very convenient for the farmers, makes the food very cheap. In fact, we have the cheapest food relative to our income in the world, in this, in this country, because we make such great use of these methods, these GMO methods to make it efficient to grow the crops. You have these huge, huge farms with very few people working on them because it's so easy to control the weeds. So that's, you know, the big um, positive of Roundup is it makes the food cheap. But what's negative about it is that it's poisoning everything. It's poisoning the earth. It's poisoning, it's ruining the soil and the soil microbes. It's ruining our health and the health of many, many species that are out there being exposed to it. So it is devastating what it is doing to the world. And what's astonishing to me is that Monsanto, which is who's the manufacturer of Roundup, managed to convince the regulators way back when, in the mid-1970s, they managed to convince them that, that this herbicide is wonderful because it, you know, it kills all plants, but it doesn't harm animals at all. That was the message, and it's simply not true. It is absolutely not true. There's no doubt about it. So we're in a situation now where, and, you know, and I, I hear from people all the time who, 
who used Roundup heavily to control some problem in their yard, you know, some weed problem, and ended up with severe health problems because of it. And they, they have to look back and say, oh, my God, it was the Roundup that did this to me. It's sort of, you don't realize it until you think about it. Exactly. Know? If they even realize it was around it. Some people get really sick and they have no idea, idea what's going on. They think they just maybe have a new allergy or something, you know, just randomly happened, but they don't yeah. realize it. it I, I hate to say it, in the neighborhood I live in, a lot of people use it. And I feel like putting flyers out saying, do you realize yeah. what this stuff does? But people don't. And they just think about having their weeds killed. Right. And we're, we're taught to expect to have a beautiful lawn, you know, so you're like, you're not keeping up with the Joneses if you've got dandelions in your yard. And that is just ridiculous. We need to, we need to embrace dandelions, you know, they're actually very good plants. They do a lot to improve the soil and they're actually good for us. They have, uh, they have uh, properties that actually protect you from glyphosate. If you yeah. eat dandelion greens, yeah, it's good for you. Yeah. You know, dandelions are great. So why kill them? And, you know, it's just, it's crazy times because uh, people would be willing to poison their children in order to control the weeds in their yard. And that is just so stupid, you know? I mean, they don't know. They don't, they know. don't realize the extent of the danger. Um, so yeah. Can you go into, I know that it is also a factor that uh, you found in autism. And uh, so. can, you, can you kind of elaborate on that or, or tell us what your findings have been? Oh, it's been amazing, actually. And this is an, an interesting story because about nine years ago, maybe 10 years ago at this point, um, I was concerned because I was seeing that the autism rates were going up exponentially in this country. And uh, I know exponential growth gets really scary once the numbers get big. We're in that situation right now. We're going to, I mean, we're going to be so severely impacted by all these autistic kids coming up through the school system in the next 10 years. It's going to be amazing. Um, so anyway, I wanted to figure out what was causing the epidemic. And I was frustrated because most of the research dollars were going to genetics. They kept saying it's a genetic disease, you know, and certainly they find all kinds of genes where there's a genetic defect in a certain gene that is associated with autism. And they can find, you know, 1% of the autistic cases can be explained by this gene and 0.5% can be explained by that gene. And there's all these genes, you know, lots and lots of them. And, not, and no, no one of those genes is like the gene that causes autism. They're all just risk factors. So what's happening is that some of the kids are more vulnerable than the others. They're the canary in the coal mine. So the ones that are getting the autism are the ones that happen to have some of these genes, you know, a little bit different, a little bit more susceptible, and that takes them over the edge. Um, as we get more and more exposure, which is what's happening, the, the use of glyphosate is going up exponentially in step with the exponential rise in autism. Perfect match between those two pairs. It's incredible. And, um, and the pushback is correlation doesn't mean causation. And sure, lots of things are going up. And, you know, how can you prove it? These are all the things people say back to me. But the fact is, if you look at herbicides and insecticides and fungicides used on the crops, the only one that matches, and it matches perfectly, is glyphosate. None of the others match at all. Most of them are, are pretty flatlined, you know? So if it is something in the food, which it certainly seems to me that it is, glyphosate is a very, very good candidate just on that basis alone. And then when you look at the features of autism. Autism is an extremely complex disease. And I, I you know, I, I started reading everything I could on autism nine, 10 years ago, still reading more about autism. I still learn more about it every day. It is so complicated. I'm sure you know that yeah. because <laughs> it just has so many other things going on with the gut dysbiosis, leaky gut, you know, and um, lots of food sensitivities, various allergies, celiac disease is associated. So all these other things in the body besides the brain. Of course, the brain is the serious thing that causes the disability that's so damaging to their future. Um, but you can explain 
all of it, really all of it, by glyphosate. And, and it's complicated. And I've written lots of papers. You can read them, you know, if you like. But um, each paper talks about a different aspect. And in each one of them shows another way in which glyphosate is linked to autism. So what, what happened to me, I was looking for five years, and I was looking seriously at the vaccines. And I do believe the vaccines are a causative factor in autism. I actually have no doubt at this point. So many mothers have talked about their child was fine. They got the MMR vaccine. They had a very acute reaction to it. And then they started losing their language skills after that, you know? Right. And uh, enough parents have, have had that kind of testimony that I have no doubt that MMR is a factor in autism mm -hmm. and other vaccines too that contain aluminum, you know, mercury. MMR doesn't contain either aluminum or mercury. So it's interesting that that one in particular is being singled out as um, being especially um, correlated with the autism. And why do you feel that that is then, since the aluminum and the mercury are not in that particular? Yeah, that is an excellent question. Yes. That was the question I was asking. Because I, I started looking at the VARs. That's what I did in those first five years. I was looking at the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, which is put out by the FDA, really interesting database. I'm a computer scientist, so I was going rummaging through that database and doing all kinds of analysis different ways. And I saw MMR. You know, this was before I even knew about Andrew Wakefield. I was just kind of doing my own research. And I said, geez, this MMR vaccine, what is it with this vaccine? Because I was thinking aluminum, mercury, and then I was finding which vaccines. And I'm, oh, it's MMR. Why would it be MMR? I was so puzzled. I actually wrote a paper where we proposed that it might be the um, acetaminophen, the Tylenol that's given. And this was something others had proposed as well. Mm -hmm. um, Tylenol is very toxic, actually. And that's another thing that we think we, we use it carelessly. We're encouraged to give it to the child when they have a vaccine, try to curb the fever. That is really bad advice. You know, and so Tylenol is, can be toxic to the liver. Very. And, um, and you need the cytochrome P450 enzymes to break it down. So the um, glyphosate is, disrupts those enzymes. So you're working, you're, you've got working synergistically with the Tylenol. You've got the glyphosate to make the Tylenol much more toxic. And in fact, it's been shown that autistic kids have trouble breaking down Tylenol in many cases. So um, anyway, we wrote about the Tylenol as a possibility with the MMR. There's also the glutamate in the vaccine. And glutamate is a neuro, neurotoxin. And, and, uh, MMR has an especially high level of gelatin in it. And, uh, and so this was, and I, so I think we talked about the gelatin and the glutamate, I'm not sure, I can't remember in that paper that I wrote before I knew about glyphosate. Um, but then uh, now I think the, uh, the real issue with MMR, the really big issue with MMR is glyphosate in the vaccine. And this is just truly, truly astonishing. So just to back up slightly, um, so glyphosate is disrupting enzymatic activity in the body. Yes. So that alone can cause major issues. People think of enzymes as only being for digestion of food, but there are so many enzymatic reactions that have to take place in the body for proper just biological chemistry of everything, the, the blood, the organs, the brain, the, you know, the calcium absorption. I mean, there's so many things. So people need to really understand that piece. And then also you mentioned gelatin and, and for people, maybe they are not, uh, understanding what, what the, the problems with gelatin could be. Could you just touch on that real quick? No, I'm sure they don't. And I, would, I, don't want, I plan to fill that in because it's oh, okay. quite, 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 quite interesting. Um, gelatin, so gelatin comes from the um, collagen, which is in the bones and the ligaments of cows and pigs that are fed heavy doses of glyphosate in their feet. And what you need to understand about glyphosate is that it is a glycine molecule with extra stuff stuck onto the nitrogen atom. That's its actual chemical structure. 
And so glyphosate is an amino acid, as is glycine. Glycine is a super, super important amino acid, maybe one of the most important amino acids in the body. It's the smallest amino acid. And for that reason, it goes into proteins in interesting places where you need like a hinge or you need room flexibility to fit in the active site. You know, there's, there's reasons why you want to have glycine at that particular spot in that protein. Proteins are sequences of amino acids. And they're, they're made through the DNA code. So there's the famous Watson and Crick DNA code, if you know some biology, with the, the DNA sequence that codes for the amino acid. Right. So what Anthony Sampson and I have proposed in recent papers is that glyphosate is getting into proteins by mistake in place of glycine during protein synthesis in the, in the microbes, in our own cells, you know, in the plants, everywhere. Glyphosate is, is getting inserted inappropriately into the protein. And um, this can have absolutely devastating consequences for certain proteins, not all proteins, but certain ones that have glycines at especially important places that it has to be glycine or it won't work. You put glyphosate there, you destroy that protein's ability to do its job. Wow. And that is really, really serious. I think that is probably the most important toxic aspect of glyphosate. And the interesting thing about it is that it's insidious and cumulative because glyphosate ends up getting in all your tissues. Um, and in randomly into different proteins. And so whichever proteins are affected, that's gonna affect the biology of those proteins. And it's gonna happen slowly and it's gonna get worse and worse over time as more and more proteins pick up this glyphosate because it makes the protein difficult to break down when it has glyphosate in it. So it accumulates. And we see that children with autism have issues of protein synthesis everywhere. I mean, it's, it's very common. So maybe the glyphosate somehow is attaching to the receptor cell, just taking it over so that other positive things can't get to it. It's just been taken up. Um, I won't go into that, but, um, but yeah, it makes me real curi really curious, but that's really interesting. Yeah, because there's, there's so much further, you know, deeper information that you're giving us that, you know, most people aren't really at all aware of. So it's really good to know. You you don't just want to think, oh, well, this isn't really that great. So, you know, it's my, it's okay if my kid has it, you know, once in a while or if I give it to him all the time. Whereas, of course, you know, dairy, wheat, gluten, or dairy, wheat, soy, sugar, you know, corn, a lot of the things that are sprayed the heaviest are the most inflammatory foods and the exactly. ones that children with autism need to stay away from completely. Right, and, and that's because and the, all these allergies that have come mm -hmm. to these foods are a direct consequence of their contamination with glyphosate. That's what I firmly believe. The more I study, the more convinced I am this is going on because it makes so much sense. All of a sudden, you know, we have an epidemic in autoimmune disease today. Mm -hmm. So many people are suffering from various kinds of autoimmune diseases like lupus, you know, and chronic fatigue. Autism is considered an autoimmune disease by many people. Yes. It's like an autoimmune attack on the brain. And, um, and this actually gets back to the MMR vaccine. But to get back to the gelatin and the collagen, collagen is actually the most common protein in the body by far. Like 25%, I was amazed at this statistic, of the proteins in the body are collagen molecules. Collagen is what's in the joints, the bones, you know, the skin. It holds your body together. It's like the the glue. And then, so the collagen is what produces the gelatin and collagen has a huge amount of glycine in it. It's one of the most heavily glycine overrepresented proteins in the body. So there's lots of collagen, there's lots of glycine in the collagen. This gives you tremendous opportunity to stick glyphosate in there by mistake, which is why you end up with glyphosate in the gelatin, which is derived from the collagen. And then the vaccine is a live virus. The MMR vaccine is a live virus grown on gelatin. So the virus incorporates the wow. 
glyphosate into its own proteins. And now those proteins become extremely allergenic. So I think what's happening is really interesting. And actually there's a series of papers by a group out of um, Utah State University, Professor Singh, S-I-N-G-H. He's been writing papers since the 1990s, proposing a link between MMR and autism via an autoimmune disease, autoimmune attack on the myelin sheath due to what's called molecular mimicry, because the peptide sequence in this protein that the measles virus produces matches closely with a similar peptide sequence in myelin basic protein. So it's, it's some interesting science where the, so it has to have a leaky brain barrier, which you end up with because of glyphosate. So if you're getting glyphosate in your food, it creates a leaky gut barrier, leaky brain barrier, leaky percent, placental barrier, which allows glyphosate to get into the fetus. You know, all those barriers become leaky in the presence of glyphosate. And then that allows other toxic chemicals to get in too, like aluminum and mercury, and also the virus itself. So the, so the measles virus from the vaccines, live virus, it gets into the brain. It causes the brain's immune system, which is quite separate from the body's immune system. It causes that immune system to react to the protein in the, in the virus that is contaminated with glyphosate. And then through this molecular mimicry thing, it starts attacking the myelin sheath. So I think that is perhaps one of the most basic explanations for the core, the core of autism is an attack on the nerve fibers due to um, the immune system attacking it. And measles virus isn't, of course, the only thing that can do that. There's lots of things, actually, you know, multiple, multiple sclerosis is associated with attacking the myelin sheath. There's a lot of different proteins that have these peptide similarities with this protein, myelin basic protein, to cause um, the brain to attack it. Um, wow. through this molecular mimicry process. So it's really, really scary stuff, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and people are dosing their children with these things every day with food and then I know nations. And that's why, and I tell people, go to your local farmer's market and eat organically and know where your food came from. Know your grower if you can. Grow, you know, teach children, especially children with autism. Gardening is a wonderful activity. I think that's so wonderful. And I heard about some farm somewhere where they have autistic kids and they're teaching them to grow organic food, which I think is just like the most fantastic. Yeah. Thing I can imagine. I have one of those oh, here great. in the town I live in. Yeah, this, wonderful. This man who uh, has is fairly wealthy, and he just decided that he wanted to help. He doesn't even have a child on the spectrum or with disabilities or anything, and he created this entire. I can't remember how many acres he has, um, and he has. It's all. It's only for children with on the autism spectrum or with you know some type of a, a, a neurological disability, and it's a huge, huge garden area. And they they are the only ones they're they're in control of, of growing it and everything. So it's, yeah, it's a wonderful activity. But people can teach their children to do it in their backyard, and then teach them Absolutely. how to feed themselves as well for their futures. Right. So, we need to really um, go back to growing our own food. We need to take complete ownership over our food, not just growing it, but also, of course, when you, when you make dinner, you know, we've been taught, and I know my generation even, I can remember even when I was young, you know, this whole concept that your time is not, is, is worth more than slaving over the stove, right? <laughs> you shouldn't be slaving over the stove. Here we have these wonderful processed foods, these TV dinners. I was hearing that as a child. If you're a woman and you have a family, why would you bother wasting time in the kitchen cooking a meal, you know? That's the kind of message they were getting. You have better things to do. And that is so wrong. I mean, I think that 
preparing a healthy meal is one of the most important things a parent can do for their children. Absolutely. And, and um, if their yeah. time is, is crunched, some people have both of them, you know, mom and dad have to work, you can still make them simple meals, but they can be homemade and healthy. Yeah, just starting with natural, all natural whole ingredients rather than buying, you know, soy protein bars and, you know, mm-hmm. potato chips, uh, non-organic, you know. <laughs> right. It's, you had mentioned that back in the, that the, um, Monsanto had talked to the government back in the 70s. So this ha- hasn't just been going on recently. Has it accelerated? Because we de- do see, see more issues now. So how has it increased over the years? Yeah, excellent question. Um, so it, it, it's been in use since mid-1970s. Um, but its usage really started to, to mushroom after they introduced the GMO Roundup Ready crops. That was in the late 1990s. And you see dramatic growth in the adoption of GMO versions of soy, corn, canola. They're up to like 90, 95% of the crop grown in this country is now GMO Roundup ready. On top of that, they started getting interested in spraying the crop, non-GMO crops with glyphosate right before the harvest. And that has become more and more popular as more farmers do it and then they don't see a downside. And so then their neighbors start copying it, you know. So the farmers are all spraying their wheat with glyphosate right before the harvest peanuts, uh, legumes. I was really shocked to see extremely high levels of glyphosate in chickpeas and you know lentils and garbanzo beans, those kinds of things, really high levels of glyphosate um, sprayed right before the harvest it, as a desiccant. So it's, it, it does kill the crop, but that's the intent. Mm-hmm. You kill the crop, you grab the seed, you, you synchronize the seed, uh, you know, the, the production of the seed. So you increase the yield because you know, part of your crop might be a little bit behind other parts. So when you, when you go to harvest, you might have some that aren't quite ready yet. You can make them all ready by just, because as soon as it's poisoned, it goes to seed. And it puts that poison right into the seed. Mm-hmm. So the seed, the wheat germ actually has much higher levels than other wheat products. And healthy wheat, you know, it has like extra, you have like this white bread, you know, that actually has less because it's taken out the wheat germ. Right. And then, uh, so somebody can say their product is non-GMO but it can still be sprayed with glyphosate. So ultimately, you have to look for the word organic. Exactly. And I think a lot of people think if I'm buying non-GMO, that's good enough. And it is not true. It is absolutely not true. In fact, the non-GMO crops are the ones that have the highest levels. Um, Very interesting work being done by an activist in Canada, Tony Mitra. He's a friend of mine. Indian guy, he's really passionate about glyphosate. And he I've heard his name. Government. Yeah, he got the Canadian government to actually test several foods. And they have 8,000 different tests that they did for glyphosate in foods. And then they gave that data to him. And he's been analyzing it. He's actually produced an ebook just to, within the last couple of weeks. Poison Foods of North America, it's called, very boldly. Oh. <laughs> Poison Foods of North America. And then it has a subtitle that involves, you know, glyphosate. And... Um, and he, so he analyzed the different foods in Canada, so actually tested Canadian products and also products imported from the U.S. and then products imported from other countries as well, like Mexico and even from Europe. And he's finding consistently Canadian products and U.S. products sky high. Many, many, many contaminants, highly concentrated, you know, levels of glyphosate in various products coming from the U.S. and Canada. Mexico, much, much, much lower. Really, really interesting. So, yeah. you know, Tomatoes, I mean, buy your food from Mexico. If you see Mexican, buy it, you know. Whether or not it's organic? Well, I think you'd be, if you're trying to avoid glyphosate, you know, and you can't afford organic, yeah. look for Mexico because right. uh, 
it's going to be much less likely to be contaminated, which is really interesting information, you know? Right, because they've always been known to spray heavily and things in the past. So maybe they have, you know, well, I think I know they doing. bought the GMOs and they don't allow GMO corn in Mexico. They oh, yeah, okay. they're much better than we are. It's hard to believe because you think of Mexico as being, you know, you'd worry about Mexican foods, right? You'd think they might be worse. So it's really quite ironic that their food is better than ours with respect to glyphosate. Right. Okay, so now that, you know, people are aware of, you know, you don't want to eat those foods, but it, is, it does have a cumulative effect from what I've, I've seen about glyphosate in the system. So a lot of people have a lot in their system, excuse me, and are exposed. <clears throat> Sorry. So. Maybe you lost your voice. <laughs> I'll drink a little water. I did. There we go. <clears throat> so um, how can we mitigate it? How can we get it out of the system? Um, safely, is there is there some some process or something natural that you have uh, known to um, be helpful? Uh, definitely, yeah. I have a whole sort of program that I would recommend that involves several things, and most of it is kind of just healthy, natural living. Um, of course, eating 100% organic. But on top of that, uh, you want to make bone broth. So you want to get organic chicken, for example, or or big organic. You can buy bones, organic bones from from grass-fed beef, you know, grass-fed beef bones, and throw them into water, cook it for over a long time on a Sunday afternoon, uh, pull all those nutrients out of those bones because the bone marrow contains a lot of minerals that are in a proper balance. So, because you have a tremendous problem with the minerals with glyphosate. Glyphosate makes the minerals both deficient and toxic at the same time. It messes up the body's mechanism of transporting and delivering the minerals. And this includes iron, zinc, you know, cobalt, manganese. These are all affected drastically. The more I read, the more I realize how badly these things are disrupted. Manganese is one in particular that I wrote a whole paper about that in, with Anthony. And you can tie manganese deficiency very, very clearly to autism. And, and there was a paper on cows that showed severe deficiency in the serum levels of manganese for cows exposed to glyphosate. Severe deficiency, way below the minimum of the range in their blood. Can you and tell it, the parents real quick what manganese does for us? Yeah, manganese is a, is a, it catalyzes certain enzymes. And for example, one of those enzymes, it, it converts glutamate into glutamine. Glutamate is a neurotoxin. So, and the, and the autistic kids, if someone did a study, I have a paper on that, of the amino acid levels in the blood of all the different amino acids for autistic kids versus non-autistic kids. And the only ones that were out of whack were glutamate and glutamine. Too, way too much glutamate and way too little glutamine, which makes sense because of the manganese deficiency. You can't convert glutamate to glutamine, and glutamate is going to fry the brain. And that's what's in the MMR vaccine, too. So there you've got that double hit. You often have synergistic toxicity working between the glyphosate and the ingredients in the vaccine. You know, and with the glyphosate actually in the vaccine as well, we tested, uh, Anthony Samsel tested several different vaccines, and some of them didn't have glyphosate, and it made sense because they also were not, had no glutamate and had no fetal bovine serum. That's the other one where you can get glyphosate. It's the serum of a, of a baby cow, right, that's also been exposed to glyphosate in the womb. So uh, fetal bovine serum and gelatin, he suspects both of those are contributing to the glyphosate in the vaccines, but MMR had by far the highest levels of all the vaccines he tested, which is really, really interesting to me. Right. And MMR is also much more toxic today than it used to be. When you look at the, F F the FDA's uh, vaccine events reporting system, and you look at the, er the early data versus the late data, you find all kinds of more serious reactions related to seizures and including autism, you know, and anaphylactic shock, those things, kinds of things are more common 
much more exposed after in the last 10 years compared to in the 1990s. And one reason could be, first of all, more glyphosate in the food, so they're primed. They've got the leaky brain barrier, it gets in, but also more glyphosate in the vaccine itself. Wow. And, um, you know, I know that you've talked a little bit in the past about sulfates and, and things like that, too. So could you explain sulfates and, and how they're yeah. affected as well? Absolutely. Sulfur is extremely interesting. And that's where I started, actually, with the autism. I zeroed in on the sulfate problem early on. Uh, partly because I was reading Rosemary uh, Waring. Do you know about Rosemary Waring's work? It goes way back. I don't think so. I'll write it down though. Yeah, she, very interesting work. And she showed, uh, she really zeroed in on the sulfate problem. The autistic kids have issues with sulfate. They don't handle it correctly. Right. And, um, and that's directly, directly connected to the glyphosate. It is amazing how glyphosate messes up sulfur. So sulfur is messing up sulfur just the way it's the same that it's messing up iron and zinc and man manganese. All those things get messed up by glyphosate. But sulfur is especially interesting because sulfate is incredibly important in the body. And people don't realize this. It's been, it hasn't been properly emphasized. It's sort of like oxygen. You know, it's like so common that they just don't even pay attention to it, but it's incredibly important. So if you don't have enough sulfate, you get some really serious problems. For example, your immune system becomes uh, impaired. You get you know, low immunity. Um, your uh, ability to clear the garbage becomes impaired. So you build up debris that you can't, your cells build up garbage that they can't get rid of because they don't have enough sulfate. And um, it it's really important for the blood flow. It's critical to the red blood cells. You know, so it's just incredibly important things. And in the brain, the sulfate is essential for the neurotransmission process. So it's really, really crucial in the brain for the neurons to be able to communicate. Yeah, so just absolutely. Important. And sulfate is very, very tricky. I think the body has, there are a, a lot of different, really, really interesting biologically active molecules that are sulfated when they're transported. So it's very, very interesting. Cholesterol is one of them, cholesterol sulfate, vitamin D, vitamin D sulfate, um, vitamin C, vitamin C sulfate. Uh, then there's all these hormones like DHEA, which is a precursor to the sex hormones like estrogen and progesterone and, and testosterone, all of them are sulfated when they're moved around. Also the thyroid hormone is sulfated, serotonin, melatonin, um, melanin, they're all sulfated when they're moved around in the blood. Really, really interesting. And I think that a crucial um, role that those molecules play is transporting sulfate. And the reason is because free sulfate in the blood will gel the blood. Sulfate has very special pro properties of being able to turn water into jello. And so you can't have, you have to keep the level of free sulfate very low in the blood. Um, and the autistic kids actually waste sulfate. They, they, if you look at their urinary sulfate, you find high sulfate. You think, oh, they've got plenty of sulfate. There's, you know, there's, that's not a problem. But that's a lie because the problem is the sulfate's not hooked onto those molecules because all those molecules that are transported are deficient. Right. It messes them up. Yeah, their whole sulfur metabolism doesn't yes. work, to work correctly. Yeah, I even wrote about that in my own book because I, I know that that's such a huge part of it for, for, for autism and, and something I, that parents definitely need to be aware of. And can you also um, touch on some things that you uh, find really helpful for, of course, eating nutrition correctly and, and uh, organic foods, things that can help the sulfur metabolism? or sulfur Yeah, well, of course, eating foods that are rich in sulfur, but you have to be careful because a lot of people have sulfur sensitivities. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is glyphosate because glyphosate uh, messes up the enzymes that 
convert sulfite into other things. Sulfite can either go up to sulfate or down to hydrogen sulfide gas with enzymes. And both of those pathways are disrupted by glyphosate. So sulfite is really, really toxic. So if you're eating foods that have been um, preserved with sulfites, your body is not gonna be able to handle them because your body's unable to clear that sulfate fa sulfite fast enough and it becomes toxic. And so a lot of people have, have complained to me about sulfur sensitivities. When I first, I was saying sulfur, you gotta eat sulfur, you know? And people would send me emails saying, I can't eat sulfur, it, it makes me sick. <laughs> and so I was, you know, oh, what's with that? So it took me a while to figure that out. But I think, again, just like iron, glyphosate makes sulfur both toxic and deficient at the same time because it messes up the body's natural mechanisms of dealing with it. All these things that are, oxygen is another one that, that glyphosate makes both toxic and deficient. Really, really interesting. Of course, oxygen is so important for everything. And, um, and it's, uh, but, but oxygen can cause reactive oxygen species, you know, and you get uh, oxidative damage. You, have, you probably have heard those terms. Yes. That's all a consequence of mismanagement of the oxygen, which glyphosate also causes. Which, so, for the parents listening, uh, does um, um, if you create free radicals in the body, which are, are uh, toxins that are invading the system, your body then can't can't help to to break those down. Basically, kind of in a nutshell. That's right. And so the the oxygen and the sulfur, um, the sulfur products are are causing damage to the molecules in your blood, and they then and then the repair mechanism is screwed up too because of the lack of sulfate. So they pile up, so you can't clear them. So you get piled up oxidized LDL, for example, that causes you know, heart disease and things like that. So I mean, it's just an incredible train wreck for, in so many different ways. But, so sulfur-containing foods are really important, but you have to first get on that organic diet and make sure you don't have sulfur sensitivities. If you do, you've got to fix that first before you start eating sulfur-containing foods because they'll damage you if you can't use them properly. So that's just the warning about that. But I love garlic and onions. I think those are great for the sulfur cruciferous vegetables, you know, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, um, and then sulfur-containing meats, you know, meats are really good for the cysteine that they contain. Cysteine is a sulfur-containing amino acid, very, very important. And those sulfur-containing amino acids are deficient in autism, and that's where you get glutathione. That's got sulfur in it. Yeah. And glutathione deficiency is a well-known property of autism. That's a very important antioxidant. So, um, so eating foods that are rich in sulfur, also seafood and eggs, organic eggs are wonderful. I think that's really a bargain. So many nutrients, you know, you're looking for foods that have a lot of micronutrients. That's with the beef, the beef broth too, the bone broth, lots of micronutrients, sort of a high ratio of micronutrients to calories, if you will. Yeah, nutrient absolutely. rich, nutrient dense foods, very, very important because we've, and of course the soil has been disrupted. So we have deficiencies in the foods themselves. They also suffer, when, when foods are grown in the presence of glyphosate, they have less minerals in them because glyphosate's disrupting their minerals. So they're not as nutritious as they used to be, you know, and the soil is losing its mineral content as well. So everything is falling apart and we just don't have nearly as good nutrition as we used to. But when you eat organic, you're getting better um, micronutrients as well. You're getting more in those organic foods. So they're worth the extra money. You know, it may look like it's the same thing, um, an organic version versus a non-organic version of the same food, but they're not the same. The organic one is going to have so many more nutrients and so many fewer toxins. It's going to be worth the extra money, you know? Oh, absolutely. In the long run, people don't realize how much they're saving themselves in their health care by eating organically if it, if it happens to cost them a little more. And I, we have a 
great farmers markets where I live. And I, if, if people have that ability, um, you can save so much too by going to a farmers market and then you're supporting your local farmers and you get to know them and you know who you can trust and all of that. Right. Too. You really I know that's people, right. right? We, do, we do that too. We spend part of our year in, in Kauai and it's wonderful. Oh, the North nice. shore of Kauai, they're all these sort of organic hippie farmers. They're so great. Yeah. And, because Hawaii has a lot of GMO practices. It's really ground zero. There's such a battle going on. In fact, yes. this island where we live is quite interesting because on the west side, they have all these GMO farms where they're, the agriculture where they're developing new GMOs that are resistant, new, new, you know, new crops that are resistant to various chemicals. So very, very toxic on the west side and a lot of fight, fighting going on. The North Shore is all these organic hippie farmers, so it's oh, kind yeah. of a schizophrenic <laughs> island. <laughs> yeah, I, I know the Hawaiian Islands pretty well about all that, too. Yeah, yeah it's um, interesting. It's so I want to say also sunlight. Uh, I want to make a point of that, getting out in the sunlight uh, as much as possible without sunscreen and without sunglasses. This is something that may surprise people. Um, I believe that's the right way to get vitamin D and you're not just getting vitamin D, you're getting cholesterol sulfate, which is incredibly important. And I believe cholesterol sulfate deficiency is a key factor in autism. So um, I'm also wondering too, just to back up just a second, when you had said that you first have to clean up your child's body or your body to be able to accept the positive sulfur foods, how do we tell parents how they can clean up their child's body a little bit so that those foods are acceptable? I mean, I have, my book is about healing the gut, then heavy metal detoxification and brain support repair. So I really go into some of this in depth, but I would love to hear yeah. what you have to say about that and what you can share with the parents. Right. Well, so I'll tell you one thing that for sure is to eat probiotics. And I haven't mentioned that one yet, but I'm sure you agree with that. Yes. Probiotics are really, really important. And I prefer natural foods, you know, sauerkraut, uh, vinegar, apple cider vinegar, organic, of course, like Bragg's organic apple cider vinegar. Um, and um, um, yogurt and um, cheese, you know, these are all sort of natural foods that naturally contain microbes. In particular, it's quite interesting, there's a microbe called Acetobacter, which is a common microbe in, um, in sauerkraut and um, uh, apple cider vinegar and things like that, fermented, um, you know, vegetables, fermented cabbage and things like that. Um, Acetobacter is one of the very few microbes that can actually fully metabolize glyphosate because glyphosate has this particular bond called the CP bond that's very hard to break down. And only a few microbes know how to do that. And this one is one of the ones that do. So I think it's one of the reasons why that is such a powerful um, treatment to try to clear the actual glyphosate that's already in there. And then um, the other thing that has been, so there was a really interesting study on cows. There's a series of studies on cows that were done by some Germans, Margaret Kruger, is someone I know, and she was a lead author on many of these studies. Uh, one in particular was quite useful because it talked about um, cows that they were sick and they had glyph they tested glyphosate was in the urine, and then they treated them with um, sauerkraut juice, so that's the Acetobacter, but also um, bentonite clay, um, fulvic acid, and humic acid, and uh, activated charcoal. So these are all. Um, you know, these are things in the soil, right? You know, the fulvic acid and humic acid are organic matter from the soil. Um, and so uh, apparently those things are able to bind to the glyphosate and then pull it out through the feces. Okay. So that's another good hint. Okay. That is really good to know. And is there, so you're finding supplements, et cetera, that people can use for this, or is it more from a food source that you prefer? 
I generally like to see people get things from their foods, but there are a number of supplements that you can get that contain sulfur. Um, And one that's been, a lot of people have shared with me that they've had good effect with it is MSM. I don't know if you've tried methyl sulfonylmethane. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, That's been helpful. And then um, liposomal form of glutathione. Right, right. That's it. And then there's the sort of ways of getting methionine. Methionine, by the way, is one of the, uh, is the uh, core sulfur containing amino acid. It's the thing that supplies the methyls and methylation pathways. Another thing that's totally messed up in autism. I'm sure you know about that, right? And methionine is uh, synthesized in the gut by gut microbes, and that synthesis is disrupted by glyphosate. Very clear paper showing uh, suppression of enzymes critical for making methionine in E. coli exposed to glyphosate. So you get a deficiency in methionine. Your gut microbes make so many things for you, you don't realize, you know. And protect us. You know. Oh, I know. They're so useful. And we, we hadn't realized how useful they were until they started failing. And now we've got a whole bunch of papers coming out about, oh, my God, my God, the gut microbiome, how important it is. We're only realizing it because it's not working anymore. <laughs> but we're still not really realizing why it's not working. <laughs> poisoning. That's the thing we need to wake up to. And most people still don't know that. Even the researchers who write the papers about the gut microbiome don't typically mention glyphosate. Yeah, I've, I've been taking probiotics for like 25 years or more now. And I, it's so funny that back then to try to tell people about, they just, they looked like you were like, you were crazy. What's that? They had no, no clue. Now you're starting to see it on television. And they're know. Adding, you know, and it's like like the, the big new thing. <laughs> it's become a household word and it wasn't really that long ago. Probiotics was not something people knew, right? Yeah, absolutely. And even gluten intolerance is another one, which I wasn't really aware of gluten intolerance even 10 years ago I was really not aware of it and now geez so many people are just refusing to eat wheat you know because oh. wheat's poisoned by glyphosate but they don't realize that that's why it's so toxic yeah so yeah extremely toxic I mean it's pretty much gluten and casein the protein in wheat and the protein in dairy are the two number one allergic foods for for children on autism i mean they're like the first two things you want to remove along with others but um but yeah they're they're just they're just so so dangerous um do you have of course there's glyphosate in milk as well and that's a very interesting there's an interesting story there because do you know zen honeycutt uh, moms across america yes and they tested several people test uh, she's great I, i really like her several people tested um breast milk for glyphosate and a lot of them found it and you know the highest level that was found was something like 1600 times higher than the upper limit allowed in water in europe wow and that is from the mother having glyphosate in her system yeah and then the case in the cow's milk too so we have you know casein intolerance that's because there's glyphosate in the casein in fact anthony samso he's this buddy of mine who does really good he's a really good chemist and um he uh so he, there was a, a paper that followed. Once Zen did this, then they, you know, the industry managed to put together a paper in which they claimed that there was no glyphosate in the cow's milk. They tested it; and there was none. And and he's looked into that to that paper, and he said that what they did was really sneaky because they basically first precipitated out all the protein in the milk, and they just got sort of the water part right. They took out the protein, and then they tested what was left over once they took out the protein. Well, the protein is where the glyphosate is. So they removed the glyphosate and then they didn't find any, you know? 
Mm -hmm. and, and how are these studies allowed to be released to the public as authentic and real? That, that's yeah. what gets to me sometimes. It's like people say, well, my doctor had this study, and I'm like, oh, no. Well, well who were the researchers who did the study, and were they paid by anybody who was involved oh, with yeah. wanting to skew the results? And, and there's just so much. And then people that go, well, then who do I believe? And so I know. Stuck with that, really, too. That's really hard. And, of course, they like to portray the anti-vaxxers as being anti-science. You know, there's mm -hmm. kind of some buzzwords that go around the anti-vaxxers or anti-science when you look at the science that the anti-vaxxers are reading and understanding and talking about they're not anti-science they have a much more science than the other side they just say oh vaccines are safe and effective you know end of discussion right and vaccines don't cause autism end of discussion there's like they don't feel they have to prove anything you know mm -hmm. whereas the other side they make them become you know incredibly good scientists or else they just dismiss what they say if some mother says something that's a little bit wrong and they just nail her you know they're they're so vicious in attacking uh, any mistake they find on the anti-vax side whereas the pro-vax side is it, it, it's they don't have to say a lot to convince people that oh yeah good i don't have to worry about the vaccines they're safe and effective you know mm -hmm. <laughs> it amazes me how people are so willing to believe this misinformation that's coming out of the um you know, out of supposedly reputable sources. That's the thing. The mainstream science is telling them, don't worry about it, it's fine. Same thing with glyphosate. You know, oh yeah, this glyphosate in the food, but it's so, so little, doesn't matter, won't hurt you, this stuff is safe, you know. Oh good, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Well, go ahead, you know, eat the food, get sick, and I'm sorry. You know? Yeah, and they, you know, a lot of times will not contribute it or go back to realizing that it's the glyphosate in the food that has actually made them sick. People, it's happening over and over. People are getting sick. Yeah. They have all these autoimmune illnesses, joint problems, just everything. Exactly. I mean, what is it? I don't understand, you know, and I went to my allergist and, I, <laughs> and I'm thinking they just, they, they don't know really the whole picture about, like I said, you know, healing the gut back up and putting in the probiotics and eating the organic foods and the correct foods and then um, eliminating anything that's like GMO, but also anything that can be sprayed. So that is really, really helpful. And I'm, I'm you know, I want parents, that's what I do is I, I work to educate the parents of children with autism so that they can get their children better because all of these things are contributing to their children either getting sick in the first place or continuing to be sick and right. if they they're they're if they're gonna see results if they make changes like right. they, and that's Actually, what's gonna matter that's really great because I, i've been hearing rumors that the um that sort of autism mm. isn't as bad now as it used to be have you heard anything like that i don't know if they're just spin mm. the, the, the autistic kids aren't, aren't as sick as they used to be which if it's true, it could be because the mothers are getting this message out and actually treating it, you know? Well, I have, my book is Naturally Healing Autism. I have a website, naturallyhealingautism.com, uh, which I will link to some of the things we spoke about here as well when this podcast comes out. But also, um, I have a program I created called autismmomsmenor.com, where I walk people step by step through every step that I took that recovered my son from his symptoms of autism. So I know it can be done and parents are now reaching out. I have more and more people writing me, contacting me in multiple ways and, and saying that just from the information that they've received from what I've put out, that their child is better. So that is what's happening is that these mothers are just they're great. They're just, they'll work really hard are. to get their kids better and they'll just keep going. And it's such a challenging job. I mean, it's, it's really a tough thing to have a child with autism yes. in many, many ways. And so 
um, what these parents are doing are finding ways to get their kids better or not just listening to the first doctor or white coat or whoever that says, oh, you don't have to worry about that. They'll go look further, which is absolutely the key. Continue to research. I spent a decade of research all, just in what I did to get my son better because back when he was diagnosed, there was nothing out there at all yes. to help. And I was told to drug him and try social right, and behavioral therapy. And that was it. <laughs> I was like, what are you kidding me? You know, you are such never... a hero. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate people like you. And I meet all these autism mothers at Autism One. I really love the Autism One conference. And I'm going to be there the whole time this year. And I'll be there too. So we'll there. get to see Yeah, you. we'll hook up. It's, it's just really refreshing to see those autism moms being so educated, really, about all the stuff and learning and very kind, you know, and, and I've had them talk to me and really wanting to know, is this safe? You know, will this hurt my child? Because they're, they're doing giant experiments with their children, taking risks. Yes. They have to really, really uh, research before they decide to give their child something. It's, I really think they are unsung heroes and they're the ones who are going to actually solve the problem, which pisses me off because the, I mean, I admire the mothers, but it should be the doctors and the doctors are doing nothing. You know, they just yeah. hand out some drugs it's yeah, really I hear this sad. pretty it's much so daily. By, it was what my experience was and what uh, the, almost daily when, when somebody reaches out to me in an email or, or something and, and tells me that either their child was newly diagnosed or they've been diagnosed a long time ago and they've been working, you know, searching for answers and the doctors aren't helping them at all. They're not getting anything. So they search further and, you know, they, they find me on the internet or they find me however, or, you know, and they're willing to do their research. At the Autism One Conference, um, I spoke at it last year also, and there were people flying in from all over multiple countries to yeah. come to the conference. And it's, that's the kind of thing that you see these people doing. And it's, many of them can't afford, but they're, you know, they're, they're doing what they, they need to do um, right. to, to get their kids better. So yeah. Cheers to them, huh? <laughs> oh, no. Moms are just such heroes and unsung heroes. I mean, they're just struggling with this autistic child that's so difficult to take care of and then doing all this research and then taking risks with their child and, I mean, I, my heart goes out to them. They're just really super moms. And um, yeah. they're the ones, they're the heroes. They're the ones who are going to solve the problem. You know, it just really is, the science is what, you know, the, the, the money that goes into studying autism is being completely misdirected. You know, no one's confronting this toxicity issue in the, in the sort of mainstream research yeah. And that's what I got tired of watching parents wasting their money on things that weren't working or, or hearing about something and trying like five different things in different directions or wondering what to try, just the total confusion about it. Mm -hmm. So that's why I just kind of laid it out. So, so because I just wanted to see their kids get better sooner, faster and naturally. And, mm -hmm. um, and so that they didn't have to, to scramble so much because it, it, it's very time consuming. And, and then you're losing those years with your children. I so. know. Every year that you haven't found the answer that is another year away from solving the problem. Your child could be getting worse along the way, right? Right. And, uh, and the nice thing about what you and I recommend is most of it is, is very safe, you know, because first yeah. do no harm. And we're mostly offering nutritional, you know, reinforcement and, and staying away from toxic chemicals. I mean, those are so sensible. And how, right. what could be wrong with that, you know? You, you pretty much have to do that, it seems to me. If you've got a child with autism, it's a no-brainer to say, stay away from the chemicals and give them a highly nutritious diet. 
Right. And they don't realize too, it's a whole different subject, but things like opioids and the opiates mm -hmm. that are even created in the system from, um, especially from wheat and dairy products that, yes, that basically yeah. make their kids addicted to those carbohydrates. There's so a lot of people like, yeah, my kid just, all he wants is bread. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I know. oh no. Actually, that's really frustrating with the autistic kids. And that's something that kind of puzzles me that why they they seem to become very, well, they're very picky eaters because so many foods, they react to them, right? right? And then they get into this very narrow, it seems to me they get into a very narrow menu of things that they're willing to eat. And then they can, be, parents have said, oh, well, forget that. My kids won't take it. You know, it's like they know they can't possibly force feed them something that they should be eating. You know, they just won't touch it. And, right. um, so the, the picky eaters and the, the, um, the trying to shift them to the healthier diet it is challenging, you know, you got to kind of use the reward system at first. I'll say, give them a bite of something they want for a bite of one bite of something you want them to eat. Just do mm -hmm. the slow shift because as their gut starts to heal and that they're not as sensitive, they will become less picky eaters. My son was an extremely picky eater and I like to tell people that now he will eat anything. There's no, all, all of that is just completely gone. That's really great to hear. And that's what I was suspecting would happen once you heal the gut. Absolutely. And actually, I think the picky eaters are picky because their their body actually can't handle those foods. They can't digest them. So they, it could be correct that they, for example, can't eat protein because glyphosate disrupts the digestion of proteins. And then when you have on top of that proteins contaminated with glyphosate, that's, a, again, a double hit where um, those proteins can end up in your blood. And that's how you get autoimmune disease. So you, maybe their body is saying, I need to eat your sugars because, you know, I can't afford to eat proteins because it's going to end up with autoimmune disease. Their body may be telling them that, their brain. Yeah, I've always believed it's an innate response. They're, they're, they, they know, it's a knowing. But at the same time, yeah, you've got to get the healthy foods in. So Yeah, well, you get stuck, you know, just like sulfur being both toxic and deficient at the same time. Mm -hmm. and, and all the minerals, you know, the iron and the, and the manganese, toxic and deficient. I mean, you're stuck there because you, you don't want the toxicity. Right. You can't get, this, get it in unless you uh, fix everything first so that it can be properly utilized and, and handled safely. Right. That's why I tell people don't dive in and try to throw a bunch of stuff all at one time. It's a really slow and steady and safe process that you want to move through. And Do you uh, recommend um, this idea of um, starving them for a period of a week like um, Natasha Campbell McBride, you know, her, her, her gaps? Um, yeah. I, I do not recommend starving. I, I even say if you can literally get a tablespoon of bone broth mm. into your child one little bit at a time and um and you know we're working with also you know the adrenals are attacked so that that's creating some of the angry irritability and the uh sleep issues uh and the anxieties so and and GABA receptors made in the in the gut again we're this whole other subject but um you know so it, so it's, I again, just have them try to move slowly into the process of a better diet along with some natural supplements that are, and they're very slowly added, that are going to help the system to be able to eliminate toxins and, um, and shift cellular repair and help, help the body heal at the same time as the diet. It's kind of a, a just a, a gentle blending at the beginning. It's not a, a starvation thing. You know, I, I, I personally don't do that. Yeah, that's good to hear because I always thought that was a bit drastic. And I was thinking if I was a mother of an autistic child, I would have a hard time starving them like that, you know? Well, and... too painful. 
yeah, it can be really traumatic for the child. Mm -hmm. And they're already under a lot of trauma and a lot, and it's very traumatic for the parent as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I always tell people, you know, you're the mom, you go with your gut instinct. If it feels like, it really, really feels like you think something is the right thing to do, then go with it. If there's something about it that doesn't feel right to you, then don't. You know, because moms have that connection and, and they, they do know. So um, there's, there's some aspects to that as well with, you know, what they research out and look at and decide on what they want to do. Do you have any uh, websites that you recommend? I will yes. link to things at the, um, on the page of this uh, podcast as well. So for your own website and then anything that uh, is also helpful for the parents to look at uh, later on on their own? Yeah, well, my website at MIT is a, a little cumbersome, but it's P-E-O-P-L-E, people.csail, that's my lab, Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory, C-S-A-I-L, dot M-I-T dot E-D-U slash, and then my last name, Senef, S-E-N-E-F-F. I have a bunch of stuff there. Most of my papers are there. Okay, as great. Well as various slide decks, you know, for various talks that I've given. I've, got, I've given talks on the Zika virus situation, the microcephaly in, in Brazil, for example, which is really due to the toxic chemicals that those people are exposed to. And I've got, you know, various talks about the manganese and all that. Mm -hmm. Lots of autism one talks are there as slides. And there's also, if you just Google my name, if you can remember my last name, S-E-N-E-F-F, -E -E it's pretty unique. So if you just Google that name, you'll find all kinds of various interviews like this one, I'm sure, you know, uh, YouTube interviews and uh, radio podcasts and things like that. So um, lots of stuff. Uh, and also some talks that have been recorded, even Autism One talks, for example. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of material out there um, from me, <laughs> and uh, and certainly, um, you know, I guess I I don't I can't I should probably get a list of other things I would recommend, but I don't have that off the top of my head. So. That's okay. You said a lot of great things, and um, I'm sure too that your uh, your website has, like you said, a lot of really good information. And we've covered so much. I think this has been really really helpful for a lot of parents, and I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy person, and um, you know so well educated on this that uh, um, I was really grateful that that uh, you were able to offer your time to to us today. So thank you, Dr. Senna, for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. My pleasure.